So I'm going to read 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 1, and then pray, and then we'll get into it together. Now Solomon, the son of David, was strengthened in his kingdom, and the Lord his God was with him and exalted him exceedingly. And Father, we thank you that you know exactly what you're doing throughout history. Thank you, Lord, that in a very real sense, history is his story. It's your story. And we thank you, Father, that you loved us so much that you pursued us and made, our, made yourself known to us so that we could then become a part of your story. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you've brought us into your family. We thank you, Lord, that you've forgiven us of our sins. And we thank you, Father, that you are changing us from the inside out. And so, Father, we pray that you would continue to do that work today. Father, we often are praying for wisdom. And I, and I pray, God, your word would help us to see, specifically today, what it means to glean the wisdom that you give. Please, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone who agrees says, Amen. Amen. Now, we, we don't want to forget, it's really important when it comes to all Scripture, but specifically for Chronicles, we don't want to forget who this was a, a written to originally. That the author is writing to a group of people that have uh, been in captivity and are now back in Jerusalem, helping rebuild Jerusalem. And they're busy rebuilding, and they're, they're dealing with things like the fact that they had heard of Solomon's temple and wondering why this new temple they have isn't so great. And they're in a place where they're recognizing that, man, how do we see God's kingdom restored? How do we get it back to where it was? How do we make Jerusalem have some of its former glory? And there is, in a sense, a lot of discouragement because materially, physically, it's not as glorious as it once was. But the author of Chronicles wants them to see that what made Jerusalem great was it was the city that God chose to make himself known. It was the place where God chose his temple to be built. It was a place where God chose to dwell among his people. And so the lessons that we're getting out of this are really sermons based on that, those historical realities. And what we're going to see today in chapters 1 and 2 of 2 Chronicles is really this, this really famous scene where, of course, Solomon asks God for wisdom and God gives him wisdom. And, and the point of this section really is for us to see what the wisdom of God is. What is the wisdom that God wants to give us? How do we get that wisdom? Why do we need that wisdom? Why is it important for us? And so I really hope and pray that as we, we get into this together, that we see, man, oh God, I desperately need wisdom. Now, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament was written mostly by Solomon. And he says things and they're like, man, above all things, get wisdom. Treasure it. Value it. You need it. And it's important because I think one of the problems is, is that we think of this, we think, yeah, wisdom seems nice, but we think of wisdom as, you know, being able to philosophize about life. Having kind of insight into things. And that's part of it, but wisdom is bigger than that. Wisdom is actually quite practical. Wisdom in a biblical sense means how to live life skillfully. It's how to live life as God intends us to live our life under the sun. That's what wisdom is. 
And so we're seeing that, that Solomon here, in a place where he's trying to fulfill what God has him to fulfill, he knows he needs wisdom. He needs God's enabling to do life the way he wants life to be done. And so we're going to look into that today. Now, it's important to also recognize this. I read only verse 1 because it's really an introduction to the next nine chapters. The next nine chapters in 2 Chronicles are really all about Solomon. And in a very real sense, this is kind of the pinnacle of, uh, of the, the whole book of Chronicles, is what happened with Solomon. Because this is where we really begin to see how valuable the temple is, how important the temple is. So, let's pick it up, verse 1, or verse 2 now. It says, And Solomon spoke to all Israel, and to the captains of thousands and of hundreds, to the judges and to every leaders in all Israel, and the heads of the father's house. And then Solomon and all the assembly with him went to the high place that was at Gibeon. For the tabernacle of meeting with God was there, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, had made in the wilderness. Now you remember at this point, and we'll see this just in a minute, David had already moved the Ark of the Covenant to uh, the place where the temple was going to be built. It was already kind of surrounded by a tent, ready for the temple to be built there. He had already done sacrifices there. But Solomon, in the beginning of his reign, doesn't go to that place where the, he's going to build a temple. Instead, he goes to Gibeon, where the, the whole tabernacle is built. And the author says specifically, wants us to remember that this tabernacle was built because Moses dictated it to be built a certain way. And Moses had in, in, in received those instructions from God himself. It's really important that we see this, that Solomon was, was basically believing what, what Moses had received from God. He's doing what God had said through Moses. He's going at that place where he's going to meet with God. In fact, this is the whole thing about what Moses received from God was this covenant that Israel was going to relate to God by. And it was, as he says over and over again, it was for all Israel. That all Israel was able to meet with God through this covenant. This is what Solomon's believing. Now we, we look at verse 4 and what does it say? But David had brought up the ark of God from kirjath Jerim to the place that David had prepared for it, for he had pitched a tent for it in, at Jerusalem. But now the bronze altar that Beziel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, had made, he put before the tabernacle of the Lord. And Solomon and the assembly sought, him, sought God there. And so Solomon went up there to the bronze altar before the Lord, which was at the tabernacle of meeting, and he offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. Now this is important, because also what the author of Chronicles is doing here, is he's kind of putting the Ark of the Covenant next to, he's kind of wanting us to picture the Ark of the Covenant next to the bronze altar. In a sense that we see what these two things represent, and why, how they relate to each other. Now the Ark of the Covenant of God, of course, represents the covenant that God makes with his people. This is the place that, that God says, here's where atonement is made, here's where we're put into right relationship, by this covenant, Okay? The, the bronze altar was the place where people who believed the covenant came and made sacrifices. Specifically, it says here, burnt offerings, which were sanctify, uh, or, uh, sacrifices of, of kind of sanctification, of saying, God, I'm, setting my, I'm recognizing I'm set apart for you. I want to give myself wholly to you. So in a very real sense, listen, what Solomon is doing is he's responding to what God initiated. He's saying, I believe this covenant. I want the first thing I do as king to declare with all of Israel that we believe this covenant. God, this is about us drawing near to you. 
Now this is important because it brings up the first truth about God's wisdom that we need to understand. That is this. It's wisdom that's already written. It's wisdom that's already written. You know, the Bible says this. Paul writes this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Paul says, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos. He's talking about himself. Uh, for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us, notice this phrase, not to go beyond what is written. That none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against the other. Now, the context of Corinthians, Paul's talking about the fact that there was favoritism among the Corinthians. Some said, oh, we really like Apollos' teachings. Others said, oh, no, we really like Paul's teachings. Others said, no, we really like Cephas or Peter's teachings. Others said, I just like Jesus' teachings. They thought they were really spiritual. And there was division about what, what, what's this about. And Paul says, no, no, listen, you should not be thinking beyond what is written. It's the scripture that's the authority. Again, listen to this. Paul says this, he writes to Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says, From childhood, Timothy, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you what? Wise for what? Salvation. Through faith in, in Christ Jesus, all scripture, he says, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable that you may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is important because what we're talking about here is a wisdom that's already written. If you want to have God's wisdom, you've got to know what God has said. You've got to know what God has said. Now, this is a pretty big book, isn't it? There's a, in fact, it, when we talk about Scripture, really, to, to call it a book is actually not accurate. It's actually a library. In fact, that's what the word Bible means. It comes from a, a Latin Biblia that doesn't mean a single book. It means a library. It's a library. And the thing is, if you have a library, does anybody here have like a home library, maybe several bookshelves that you would say, this is kind of my library area? Anybody have that? No? Yeah, we all have our own, yeah, books. Now, tell me if I'm wrong, but those books only do you good if you read them. Is that, is that correct? Am I accurate in that? Yeah, I thought so. Well, the same with this library. If you want God's wisdom, you've got to know what God says. Now, the author of Hebrews says this about how God has spoken. Listen to this. Hebrews chapter 1, uh, verses 1 and 2. In the past, God, has, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets in many ways, and in, in many, I'm sorry, at many times, and in, in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. Now that simple phrase, those two sentences there, or that one sentence in those two verses there, is simply the author of Hebrews saying, God has spoken authoritatively through the prophets. So we hold on to what God has already said through the prophets. But now, God has spoken with the highest authority and with finality through Jesus. So that if we want to know what wisdom is, we have to know what Jesus has said and who Jesus is is. This is really important because this has radical implications to how we live our lives. One of the things that I realized when I became a parent is, is how little uh, there is in the scriptures about parenting. There's not that much. There really isn't. 
And so I really focused, like in the book of Proverbs and a few places in Paul's epistles where they kind of give us an exhortation about what it means to parent, I really kind of focused on those things. And, and the thing is, after a few years, I kind of realized, uh, this isn't enough. And so I read parenting books that talked about those things. And as I talked about those things, I thought, okay, that's helpful, but it's not really enough. And it took me a long time. In fact, I'm still learning and realizing that it's not just the verses about parenting that give me wisdom about parenting. It's the whole library. The same about being a pastor, or about being a husband, or about being an employee or an employer. It's not just the few verses that talk about those things that give me wisdom for that. It's the whole library. In fact, this is the interesting thing as well. The more books I read about, say, parenting, the more I realized that even if they they gave some insight to how to apply some of the verses on parenting, they often were trying to get us to get, get the parents to do something or believe something that was actually not in the library. It actually took you a different direction, even when they're written by Christians sometimes. Now, we'll talk about uh, learning from sources outside the book in a a bit. But it's really important that we recognize this. That Solomon is showing that he's in a good place to receive fresh wisdom because he's responding to the wisdom that's already written in Scripture. How about us? I was supposed to start this sermon with... uh, a quote from 1 Corinthians 1.30, and maybe I forgot it because it's more timely uh, being right right now. So this will be the second slide. Here's what it says. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, 1 Corinthians 1.30. says, God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Now, we may need more Wisdom, but that doesn't mean we need more than Jesus. It means we need more of Jesus. We need to learn what does it mean to follow him in my workplace. Does that mean that, that Jesus knows all about marketing? So if you're in the marketing, Jesus is going to tell you how to be a marketer? No. Does it mean that because Jesus was a great healer, he's going to make you a better doctor? He's going to tell you about how, how it works with biology and pharmacology and stuff? No, that's not what I mean. But what I mean is, he will make you a better marketer because he'll make sure that you do it ethically. Not that you're not ethical, unethical. No offense if you're a marketer. He will make you a better doctor because he's going to build in you a greater compassion for people. More than just a human empathy. So so the reality is, what we need is, is we really do need Jesus. He is the sum total of the library. He's the main theme through the entire Genesis to Revelation. So, what happens next? So, he does this. He, he, he makes these offerings. He's, he's showing that he's submitted to what God has already written, what wisdom is, that's already been written. And so, in verse 8, it says, I'm sorry, in verse 7, it says, And on that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said to God, You have shown great mercy to David, my father. And have made me in, uh, king in his place. Now, O Lord, let your promise to David my father be established. For you have made me king over a people like the dust of earth in multitude. Now, I have kind of a subheading here that I want you to notice. Because we've talked about this is, wisdom is what was already written. But wisdom is what we pray for. And it's really great to see that Solomon prayed correctly. Now, Someone might have told you, hey, there's no wrong way to pray. That's actually not true. 
There's no necessarily wrong words to use in prayer, unless those words are described in a God that doesn't exist. <laughs> but but there's no wrong, there, there is a right way to pray. There, God does teach us to pray. And, and Solomon gives us a great, uh, a great, some great principles about prayer. First and foremost, in verse 7, it says that what happens before Solomon prays is God says to him, pray. Come on. Please, ask. Now, you might go, gosh, that would be amazing. Be amazing to have a vision of Jesus in my room and he say, ask. Wouldn't that be amazing? Well, actually, probably quite scary if we're honest. <laughs> but you know what would be, what's amazing is Jesus has already said this, hasn't he? Right? We see this in the Gospels. Jesus says, ask, seek, knock. In fact, in the original language, it's emphatic. Please ask. Please seek. It's like God's daring us to pray. There is zero reluctance. In the God of Scripture, you see no reluctance for he, to hear our prayers. In fact, you see just the opposite. He's telling us, pray. This is important because the way you're going to pray, the, if you're going to pray correctly, it's got to be in prompting. It's got to be in response to God's prompting. You have to see that God wants you to pray. If you pray because you're trying to overcome God's reluctance, and I, I, I've been there lots of times, I fall into that lots of times, thinking that God's like mad or distant from me, which really is not me believing the gospel of Jesus. But I felt that. But if I feel that, I'm actually not praying the way God wants me to pray. What I'm doing, if I'm feeling that, if I'm responding that way, is I'm trying to convince God to give me an audience. Instead of believing, listen, this is important, instead of believing that in Christ I already have an audience. Do you understand that? That's an amazing privilege that we have as Jesus followers. Because we're in Christ, we have access to the Father. He qualifies us. So there's no overcoming of reluctance. It's simply, in fact, listen, one author put it this way. Prayer, when a believer prayers, he enjoys a privilege that only Jesus enjoyed for eternity past. Did you think about that? That God the Son has always enjoyed fellowship with God the Father. And then when, because Jesus died for us. And we've received his forgiveness and his righteousness. And we're put in that position of being in Christ. We get to enjoy what only Jesus has enjoyed from eternity past. Wow. Prayer is a privilege that God is longing for us to enjoy. Longing for us to operate in. Does that mean every time you pray, you need to be happy and excited? No. Read the Psalms. <laughs> That's what's great about our Heavenly Father. We can come as we are. But we need to recognize, listen, when it comes to our relationship with God, specifically in our prayer life, but in all areas, God is always the initiator. Which means, if you have any notion that thinks, I should pray, guess where that comes from? It's not the devil. It's not your great wisdom or holiness. It's God prompting you to pray. So guess what you should do? You should pray. You should say, okay, Lord, yes. And rather than going, okay, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm so bad, I haven't prayed, I'm so rubbish, God's going, stop it. I've called you to pray. Yeah, confess your prayerlessness. That's a good thing to do. It's fine. But pray. God says, ask. I love the fact that New King James says, ask! Exclamation point! It's great. Ever had like really good news that you wanted to share with somebody? Like maybe you want to share with your spouse, and so what do you do? You say, hey, ask me what I did today. You ever done that? Because <laughs> you, want, you want to say, God said, hey, ask me what you want. 
Because he's like longing to give that. So prayer, correct prayer, is, is, is in response to God's prompting. God is always the initiator of our relationship with him. But then notice again in verse 8 and 9, he's, how, how Solomon prays. He says, God, you've shown great mercy to David, my father. He says, Lord, do according to your promise to David. And this phrase at the end of verse 9 where he says, God, you've made me king over a people like the dust of the earth. Here's what he's doing. Solomon is praying according to God's character and according to God's promise. God promised Abram, I'm going to make you a mighty nation. He eventually became Abraham, you know. And your descendants are going to be like the stars in the sky or like the dust of the earth. And so he's saying, God, I believe we are the people that you've promised to Abraham. We, we are that. You've fulfilled your promise. Would you keep fulfilling your promise? I believe you made a promise to my father, David. And that's the continuance of that promise to Abraham. God, work according to your promise. God, I believe you've done this all because you're merciful. Not because my dad deserved it or I deserved it, but simply because you're merciful. That's what he's praying by. See, this is the funny thing. When we forget the first bit, I'm only praying in response to God, we, we have a difficult time with the second bit. Because what happens is, we think, all right, God, i gotta, I got to make myself worthy. I have to earn the right to be heard uh, by you. I have to prove that I'm uh, worthy of the answers of your prayers. And then guess what happens? We're not responding to God by his promises or by his character, but by ours. God, aren't I good? I'm being good. I'm a good boy. Scooby snack, God, please. I'm a good boy. No, that's not how it works. Solomon got this. And notice this also, verse 10. This might be the part that maybe, maybe if you're, if you're asking God for wisdom, God, I really do want to live my life skillfully. Maybe you've not realized this is part of how we pray for wisdom. Verse 10, he says, Now give me wisdom and knowledge. Why? That I may go out and come, and that is literally lead before this people, for who can judge this great people of yours? In other words, he's praying for the benefit of others. Now, God does bless us as individuals, as his children, sons and daughters. There's no doubt he does that. But the, the reason he blesses us is to make us a blessing. Now, this gets really twisted. It gets twisted into this idea that, all right, God, give me lots of stuff and then I'll be a blessing. As opposed to God... I want to be a blessing, so give me what I need to do it. Give me what I need to be a blessing. And we were praying for you guys this morning, Kathleen and I and some little ones that came to join us. Maybe some, some came after I had to dash out. But, and one of the things we were praying for you this morning as a congregation is that you would come ready to give and receive because God has something for you when you come on a Sunday morning gathered with his people. And, and guess what else? God has something he wants to do through you when you gather with his people. And I, and I think too, <clears throat> please don't make the mistake of thinking that what God wants to do through you has to be grandiose. Or it has to be for the whole congregation. You know, some of the best teaching I do is one-to-one -one with people. It's not here. I know God's given me a gift of teaching, but some of the best instruction I give is when afterwards someone says, well, what about that? What about this? And then maybe I explain it, and they go, oh, that's really helpful. Oh, man, I wish that was recorded. It was, oh, it was so good, that nugget. 
No. God's people were benefited. Guys, God calls us to pray this way. I, do, you think, do, do, you, do you think that if we were, were, were better prepared, if we were prayed up before we gathered, that our gatherings would be richer? I mean, they're great now, don't get me wrong, but wouldn't they be even richer? If we thought the last thing we want to do on Saturday night is say, Lord, tomorrow I'm going to be with your people, and I want to be prepared. Prepare my heart, Lord. Give me wisdom. Who am I supposed to talk to? Because, you know, you can't find a Bible verse that says talk to this person. God's going to have to give you the wisdom by his Holy Spirit. God, who am I supposed to talk to? Who am I supposed to listen to? What should I say? What should I not say? Is there someone I'm supposed to give something to? What would you have me do, Lord? Can you imagine if we were like prayerful about what God would have us do? And then we came in and did this. Man, you know what would happen? People would come here and they'd go, surely God is in this place. Amen. Wisdom. So Solomon prayed correctly, but this is even better. This is the better bit. Look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. Then God said to Solomon, because this was in your heart, and you have not asked for riches or, or wealth or honor or life of your enemies, <laughs> nor have you asked long life, but you have asked wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may judge my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you, and I will give you riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings have had who were with you before, nor uh, shall any uh, after you have the like." Solomon prays correctly. Lord, I just, you're stirring me to pray. You say ask. I want to ask. I want to ask you because you're good. I want to ask you because you've made great promises. I want to be a blessing to your people. God says, you know what I'm going to do? Listen to this. According to Ephesians 3.20. Now unto him who is able to do, God says, I want to do far more abundantly than we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Now, I want you to be really clear about what I'm, I'm trying to say here. The author of Chronicles is not saying, you see guys, if we ask, God's going to make us rich and wealthy and how honorable are all nations. No, that's not what he's saying. He's trying to say to, to him, do you see what, what God honors, the heart God honors? God honors the heart that says, Lord, I can only come to you because you've prompted me and you've made a way for me through Jesus and I want to pray to you because of who you are and what you've said in your word and I want to be a blessing to your people. God says, I'm going to bless that. Boom. I'm going to give you more than you can ask or think. Sometimes in the lowest times of my Christian experience, I've been in a place where I was, for lack of a better term, I was forced to, to minister. I mean, I'm a pastor. It's my, it's my, in a sense, it's my job. And so sometimes I'll be in a really low place and God forces me to minister. And those times are like the richest times that God ministers to me. And I think, wow, God, you're so good. I didn't even want to be here with these people. <laughs> not, it's not because you guys are so horrible. I mean, you're not so great either, but I mean... <laughs> No, but just because sometimes life is hard and you're going through a difficult time and you're thinking, Lord. But then what happens? You say, all right, Lord, I want to be a blessing to your people. I want, I want to bless other people. And what happens? God blesses us. There's an old saying that, that used to be around the circles uh, of churches that we're a part of. You can't outgive God. And I know a lot of people, again, will apply that to some kind of prosperity nonsense, and that's not helpful. But it is helpful for us to know that you can't outgive God. That He is so generous. When we say, Lord, I want to be a blessing to people, God says, Great, I'm going to bless you to be that blessing. 
But what else happens? Solomon prays correctly. God answers generously. But remember, wisdom is what we pray for. So what does he do? He say, great, it's all sorted. I'm done. And sit back on his couch. No? What happens? It says in verse 13. In verse 13 it says, So Solomon came to Jerusalem from the high place that was at Gibeon and, began, and before the tabernacle of meeting. And he reigned over Israel. And Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen. That he had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities and the kings of Jerusalem. And the king made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stones. And he made cedars as abundant as the sycamores who were in the lowlands. And Solomon had horses imported from Egypt and Kiev. And the, the king's merchants uh, bought them in, in Kiva at the current price. And they also acquired and imported from Egypt a chariot for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150 shekels. Thus, through their agents, they exported them in all the kings of the Hittites and the, uh, the kings of Syria. Now you're going, okay, that just seems like random information. Why is that important? Here's why it's important. Because Solomon doesn't just say, okay, I've prayed, it's done. Solomon acts according to what he's prayed and what God's promised. All right, Lord, I just want to be a blessing to your people. You said, ask, here's what I want to be, a blessing to your people. Give me the wisdom and knowledge to do that. God says, great, I'm going to give you the wisdom and knowledge and I'm going to give you the, the prosperity that you're going to need. And so what does he do? He starts working toward that prosperity. Do you see what he's doing? Now, uh, it's interesting because if you read Kings or 1 and 2 Kings or um, 1 and 2 Samuel, the, the idea you get here is that Kings and Samuel, those authors are trying to show the, the fallibility of Solomon. One of the things that God had said to Kings, Kings should not multiply horses. The idea is like you shouldn't kind of put your reliance on your military might. That's why you'd multiply horses and chariots. But in this context... The author of Chronicles is not showing this as a negative here. It's not written in that way. It's written as a positive. And it's written as a positive because I think he's trying to show, listen, there's an action for you to follow here. See, if we pray in faith, if we really believe that God's called us to obey his word, that he wants us to be a blessing to his people, we don't just pray and wait for God to zap us and go, oh, here's how it's going to work. We step out. We, we do what God calls us to do. There's an action to be taken. Now, the thing is, don't forget, we, we can't look at any part of Scripture without remembering the big picture. That, that the, all of Scripture points to Jesus and how Jesus has come to make us right with God and in making us right with God, we're then be able to be changed, to be made like Jesus, so we can enjoy Jesus forever. God's in the business of saving us, and to save us, that means he changes us from the inside out. But the, here's the thing, God doesn't change us without our cooperation. He calls us to follow what he says. So part of prayer is obeying. So, so if you're going, God, I really want to be someone who learns to get into, gets into your word. I do believe that what uh, wisdom is found in what's already written. So Lord, help me to read your word. Help me to get something out of your word. And then you never set time aside to read his word? God's not answering my prayer. Well, are you actually even walking in obedience? Are you actually even expecting him to? If you don't ever crack open your Bible, 
Why would you expect God's going to speak to you through the Bible? Do you think it's going to fall in your head? Do you think it's going to come off the shelf and boom, oh, this must be the Lord. No, you have to sit down, open it. I would suggest you pick a book of the Bible and, and read through it systematically. Read through the whole New Testament. It'll take you, you can, read through the New you can read through the whole New Testament in a year, and it takes you literally seven minutes a day. Seven minutes a day. But we, we, we obey. In fact, it's interesting. We see Solomon as this man of great wisdom, but this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with men of the, the men of this generation. That's the generation Jesus ministered to. He said, and he'll, they will condemn him. Or she will condemn him. For she came uh, from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, someone greater than Solomon is here. Mm. You know, it's, it's amazing uh, how often, every, every year this time of year when I'm kind of... Because I, I, I do read, uh, I do follow the Servant's Church Bible plan. I, I write that plan and I don't just say, here, read this. I follow that plan as well. And so it takes us through the New Testament in a year. And so the first several months, you're just in the Gospels in the New Testament. And I have to say, it's like my favorite part of the year. Because I love seeing what Jesus had to say and seeing what Jesus did over again. And I'm always so challenged. Because I don't know about you, but I tend to look at Jesus either as a distant judge. You know, I see the book of Revelation. <laughs> or I see Jesus as this kind of idea that I've made of him. Like he's just like this... I don't know, almost like this super nice and never would hurt a fly. But you look at the Jesus of the Gospels and what you see is this, this one who is loving and straight and tough and committed and merciful and compassionate. He's so much bigger than my little mind wants to hold him in. A little box my mind wants to put him in. And so rereading the Gospels and seeing Jesus for who he is, I do, and I say, man, Lord, you are wisdom incarnate. You are the one I need to follow. In a very real sense, Solomon sets us a good picture of this. Yeah, he prayed for wisdom. God, give me this wisdom. But he acted appropriately. We should pray, Lord, help me to know you better and then act appropriately. Lord, help me to draw near to you through your word, through prayer. Because I can't just say, I'm going to pray and not draw close. Now, the last thing we need to see, the wisdom that God gives, it's not just wisdom that's already written or wisdom that we prayed for. It's wisdom that makes God known. God's given us wisdom because he wants to make himself known. I was sharing with one of the students uh, uh, yesterday at a work party, and um, don't want to embarrass her, so I won't say who it was, but uh, we were sharing, it and, and we were talking about how God really uses uh, people who are willing to say, God, I want to work as unto you. Like, I want to be excellent in the workplace so that, so that when people say, wow, you've done a good job, you know, what, what's motivating you? you? I can say, it's Jesus. Come on. And so that takes wisdom, though, doesn't it? It takes real wisdom. And so this is kind of what we see happening, right? Because look, look what happens in, in chapter 2, verse 1. So it says, Then Solomon determined to build uh, a temple for the name of the Lord and a royal house for himself, selected 70,000 men to bear burdens, 80,000 to quarry stone in the mountains, and 3,600 to oversee them. Now, think of those numbers, and what does it say that Solomon appointed? He selected these men for that purpose. Now go to the end, a couple of verses of chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. 
Then Solomon numbered all the aliens, that would be all the resident aliens, the sort of the Gentiles who had come into Israel to be part of Israel's kingdom. And it says, who were in the land of Israel after the census in which David his father had numbered them, and there were found, notice the numbers, 153,600. And he made 70,000 of them bearers of burdens, 80,000 stonecutters in the mountains, and 3,600 overseers uh, to make the people work. In other words, the people that he selected to do the actual preparation of, uh, of the materials for the building were all Gentiles. Now I want you to think about this. Because what's really amazing to me about this is that is that Solomon here knows that God's given him this, this thing to do. God's told him, I want you to build the house that I didn't want your father David to build. He says, I want, I'm wanting you to do this, uh, Solomon. He's calling him to, to fulfill this act. And what we see here is that God's saying, I want you to do this. And Solomon says, okay God, I want to do this to your glory. And he wants to involve the Gentiles. Now why would the author of Chronicles want to highlight this? Because the, the nation of Israel is going, they've been under Gentile captivity. And they're going back to Jerusalem to rebuild Jerusalem, still under a Gentile captivity. Surrounded by Gentile nations. They don't have the military might of David. They don't have the, the riches of Solomon. But what they do have is a mandate to be a light to those nations. And God can use those nations to bring glory to himself. See, this is exactly what David, or what Solomon wanted. If you go back to chapter 2, verse 3. What happens? Solomon sent to Hiram, king of Tyre, this letter. Now, if you remember, Hiram was also a friend of his father, David. But notice what he says. He says, as you have, as, as you have dealt with David, my father, and sent him cedars to build a house, uh, himself a house to dwell in, so deal with me. Behold, I am building a temple for the name of the Lord my God, to declare it to him, to burn... Uh, uh, to burn him sweet incense for the continual showbread and for the burnt offerings morning and evening on the Sabbaths on the new moons and on the set feasts of the Lord our God. This is an ordinance to, to, uh, forever to Israel. Now if he would have just said that, he would have gone, okay, he's talking about his own God to this, 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 this Gentile uh, king and saying, here's what I want to do. Can I have some cooperation? Sounds like maybe it's a business deal. But look at verse 5. And he says, and that the temple which I built was great, will be great, for our God is greater than all gods. So Sarah and I have some really good Muslim friends. And it'd be like saying, hey, come over and celebrate Christmas because our God is much greater than your God. They might not say yes. <laughs> and so he says this, but verse 6, but who is able to build him a temple since, the, since heaven and the heavens of heaven cannot contain him? Who am I then that I should build him a temple except to burden sacrifice before him? Do you see what Solomon's doing? He's taking this opportunity to exalt the uniqueness of the God of Scripture, the covenant of God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God, of our, uh, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's exalting him to his unique position. You see, what, what, what God wants to do is God wants to make himself known through the projects he gives us, through the responsibilities he gives us, no matter how secular those projects might be. God wants to make himself known. And I love this because someone's not flinching. Now, 
We know the king of Tyre, Hiram, was someone who was at least sympathetic to the God of Israel. We know that from his, his reactions with David. And so, it, it, it's not like, Solomon's not being weird here. He's not like talking to somebody who wouldn't know anything about what his religious beliefs are or where he's coming from, and just kind of blurting out kind of all the stuff about God. So I, I, I'm saying be tactful, okay? I don't want you to go talk to the, you know, the, the person at your work who's never had a conversation with and say, hey, I just wanted you to know, I do everything I do for Jesus. Because even though that's true, if you say it, they're going to go, okay, and probably never talk to you again. But as they know that you're a Jesus follower, then, then don't be ashamed to say, I am a Jesus follower. And I'm wrestling with this because I want to follow Jesus. Or I'm doing this this way because I want to follow Jesus. Don't be afraid to say that. You know, Paul talks about not being ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the gospel is Jesus Christ. It's about him. Let's not be ashamed of him. I mean, Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me or my words, I'll be ashamed of you before my father. Again, I'm not talking about being blunt or crazy, but I'm saying if you have an opportunity, if there's a, a relationship built with somebody that you work with, to take the chance. To say, well, I, I don't know if you know, but I'm a Christian. Take the chance to bring up Jesus. Now, I'll tell you one of the good things that happens when you do this. It makes you automatically accountable to everybody you work with. Because <laughs> as soon as you say you're a Christian, they're going to be watching you. They're going to watch to see if you mess up or not. And that's hard. It's a bit of pressure. But you know what? It's a good thing. Because it makes us kind of think about, how, how do I speak to people? How do I do my work? So Solomon, he needs help building the temple, and he takes the opportunity when he needs help to exalt the uniqueness of his God. And look at verse 7. Therefore, he said, send to me, he says to Hiram, send me uh, at once a man skillful, notice that word, to work in gold and silver and bronze and iron and purple and crimson and blue, who has skill engraved with the skillful men who are with me in Judah and Jerusalem, whom David my father provided. Also send me cedar and cypress and algum logs from Lebanon, for I know that your, servant has, your servants have skill uh, to cut timber in Lebanon. And indeed, my servants will be with your servants um, to prepare the timber for me in, in abundance for the temple uh, which I'm about to build which shall be great and wonderful. And indeed I will give your servants the woodsmen who, are, uh, who cut the timber 20,000 cores of ground wheat, 20,000 cores of barley, 20,000 baths of wine and 20,000 baths of oil. Now, now here's what's happening. Solomon has said, God, I need wisdom to do what you called me to do. And so then he believes God's going to give him wisdom and so then what does he do? He goes, looks for wisdom from people. From Gentiles, no less. Is he doing something wrong? No. Because the wisdom, listen, the wisdom that God gives us is often comes through other people. This is why it's important when we come together that we're ready to minister to each other. You might have something that you don't even think is that important or that wise. I have this experience with Frankie a lot. Is Frankie here? Yeah. Where's Francis? There you are, Francis. Frankie and I will be in conversation, and he'll be talking about something random or, or something that I'm not talking about, or I won't understand what he's saying. And then, we'll, then we'll, we'll get in the conversation a bit deeper, and we'll kind of go back and forth about stuff. And then he'll come up with this, these one-liners that just kind of like, ooh, well, that's really good. That's really important. And it's funny because I sound like I'm going, hey, Frankie, can I have some advice? 
But it's just in fellowship as we're talking together about the things of God or talking about what our life's up. It's amazing how God will speak through someone else. And the great thing about Frankie, he's always willing to speak. <laughs> so he's got something good to say. And the thing is, we need to be willing. We need to be open. How, how is God going to speak to us through other people? Now granted, we compare all wisdom through anybody through what's already written, don't we? But still, we should be willing to receive from anyone. Now here's what's interesting. This word skillful, or this word skill, it's actually the same root word as the word used for wisdom. God, give me wisdom. So give me these guys that got wisdom to do the, the things that need to be done. We need that. I love this too. Look what happens in verse, uh, uh, verse 11. This is where it gets, to me, this gets really amazing. So then Hiram, king of Tyre, answered in writing, which he sent to Solomon. And look what he says. Because the Lord, notice he uses, notice all caps there. Because Yahweh loves his people, he has made you king over them. I mean, think about it for a second. Now, can you imagine someone coming to Sarah? That's why I laughed. Someone coming to Sarah and saying, God must love you to give you a husband like John. <laughs> so you laughed a little bit too easily with that one. But I mean, that, that's, a, that's a heavy compliment, isn't it? Like, wow. God must really love, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob must really love his people to give him a king like Solomon. Hey guys, God must really love us to send his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He must really love us to send Jesus. I love this because this is a pagan king and a pagan king, listen, who is needing to help Solomon, and Solomon's need is a chance for God's character to be exalted. Look, look what Hiram says in verse 12. Hiram also said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who made heaven and earth. He's acknowledging that the God of Israel is the creator. For he has given King David a wise son, endowed with prudence and understanding, who will build a temple for the Lord and a royal house for himself. He goes on to say, I'm going to send that skill, those skillful guys to help you in, verses, in verse 13 and 14. And then he says in verse 15, Now therefore the wheat, barley, and oil, and the wine that you wanted to give to me, let, you know what Solomon, send them to your servants. Let him have him. Do you see what's happening here? This is interesting. Because I think we think, okay, God, give me wisdom. Make me wise so I can minister to people. So we think wisdom means, if God gives me wisdom, that makes me the wisest person in the room. So I'm not the needy one. I'm the one who gives. But so often, you know the way we make connections with people that don't yet know Jesus? is by acknowledging our own need. Guys, when Jesus wanted to reach a Samaritan woman, what did he do? He sat by a well, exhausted, and said, could you give me a drink of water? Jesus did that. See, wisdom, listen, wisdom is something that it, it, God wants to give us wisdom because God wants to make himself known. He doesn't want to exalt us, not in the sense of us being known. He wants to make himself known through us. He gives us wisdom, and one of the reasons we know that we've gotten God's wisdom is because he's the one exalted into it. 
So, so if you want to know your neighbors, I want to know my neighbors. I want to make sure I know their names. I want to make sure I know their kids' names. I want to get to know them. I want to kind of have a relationship with them. I want to do that for the sake of the gospel. If you bring them a plate of cookies, that's really good. But you know what actually will probably build a better bridge? Go borrow some eggs. <laughs> Give them back. Don't be, don't be a thief. But you know what I'm saying. Borrow some eggs. Say, hey, do you have a couple of eggs I can borrow? I'm John, by the way. Nice to meet you. And then if you make cookies with the eggs, bring them some cookies. Yeah. But there's nothing wrong with building a bridge through our need. Because it's not about saying, look at us. We got our lives all together. We're Christians. We're the excellent ones. No. We're Christians. We're just as needy. And we have good news. There's a God who meets every need. That's the wisdom that God wants to give us. That kind of wisdom. I'll close with this verse. Proverbs 9.10. Proverbs 9.10. Great verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Listen. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You want to live life skillfully? Know God. Know God and follow after Him. Because that's how life is supposed to be lived. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your great love for us. Lord, we believe that you loved us so much you sent Jesus. Father, we know that the sin that we think is so pleasurable for a season, there's no wisdom in it. It only leads to death. So Lord, we pray that you'd forgive us for looking for other things other than you, for wanting other things more than we want you. God, we confess that as sin and we pray forgive us. And Lord, we want to come fresh to you. You, Lord Jesus, who are wisdom incarnate, and we say, Lord, teach us to follow you. We want life to be skillful. We want to live our lives as they're meant to be lived. We want you to be known through our lives. Give us this wisdom, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.